You're listening to the Piston Podcast, the motoring podcast for the motoring enthusiast, presented by me, Daniel Actaus. Each episode, I dig deep into the world of cars with news, reviews, and other random motor talk. From engine cars to EVs, I'm here to entertain you whilst you're nipping through traffic or even whilst you're stuck at home trying to change your exhaust. But warning, I may ramble on about Fiat Pandas. You've been warned. Anyway, engage launch control. It's time for the Piston Podcast. Hello and welcome to Season 3, Episode 12 of the Piston Podcast, the motoring podcast for the motoring enthusiast, presented by me, Daniel Actorhouse. Just before we get started with this episode, please make sure you're subscribed to the Piston Podcast or you follow it, depending on what platform you're on. And please give it a positive review because it really does help with uh, sending the podcast up the charts. It really does help. I'm on social media at DanielCars05 and the podcast is on Twitter, as ever, at Piston Podcast. This this episode is being recorded on the 17th of April. God, April's really roaring away. And uh, yeah, this episode is going to be a bit different because we're joined by another guest at last. And I'm very excited to be joined by a racing driver. Not any racing driver, but somebody who races Mazda MX-5s, which uh, is really cool because I love Mazdas. Hello, Charlie. Hello. How are you doing? I'm very good. Thank you. Yourself? I'm also very good. All the better for speaking to you. Now, for the listeners that do, do not know who you are and are unfamiliar, would you like to introduce yourself and talk about what you do? Yeah, so as you mentioned, uh, my name's Charlie Bogglestone. Um, I buy cars, and quite a lot of them. Quite a lot uh, of them, yeah. <laughs> and then also, as you said, race Mazda Mark 1s um, when I get the chance to as well. That's perfect. It's my idea of heaven. Just MX-5s. It, it, is, it is pretty good fun. Yeah, it is good. So... Let, I think we should start, start off talking about the racing and then we'll progress to the cars later on because uh, you've had some and you still have some really incredible cars. Um, so we've got to talk about them, especially the 1M BMW, because that is yes. just yeah. incredible. So we'll talk about that later on. But first of all, how did you actually get into motorsport? What was the path? Oh, when I was about, oh, I've got to think now, probably 15 <laughs> or 16, my dad started racing in Mark 1s. Yeah. Um, so he did a season... Um, a few years ago and I went along as pit crew and helped him out a bit and then you know he he didn't do it for a while um, I couldn't get my race license so I was 21 yeah I used to have epilepsy right so I had to wait until I was old enough to get a race license and then kind of as soon as I got the all clear from the doctors yeah I um, got my license sorted rented a car and and uh, away I went really that's fantastic so I bet seeing your dad out there on the track really wanted you yeah, it made you really want to get out there yourself. And, you know, it's yeah, great. it was a big, Absolutely. you know, I'd watched him. I'd gone to Silverstone with him and Brands Hatch. So it was um, the first two years of racing I did, I was by myself. Yeah. Um, kind of with a team. And then 2019, it would have been um, myself and my dad were racing. So that yeah. was really nice to kind of share the oh, track. That's really with him. nice. Yeah. That's, that that's amazing. Now, Last was I think it was last weekend or the weekend before I actually watched the MX5 Championship because Ian Soman, who's a previous guest uh, on this podcast and a commentator for um, for the MX5 racing every now and then and Alpha Media or something like that, 750 Motor Club, he uh, was commentating and he shared it on Twitter and I was like oh, I'm going to watch that I'm going to watch that and then um, I realised obviously that you race obviously in the MX5 Championship, so um, yeah oh it was great to watch. Obviously, the MX-5s, they're rear-wheel drive, they're light. They're not massively powerful, but they're still fun. That is the beauty about MX-5s. Yeah, you, you don't need a lot of power. You know, they're only about 110 brake horsepower at the wheels. Yeah. Um, 
but you know when there's 30 cars on a grid especially on somewhere tight and twisty like Donington or Brands Hatch yeah it's quite manic you don't need a lot of power but just 30 cars all of similar pace with drivers of a you know broadly similar skill yeah and it's recipe for disaster mayhem fun <laughs> um, you know there's there's never a boring race i don't think i've ever watched listened to no. or, or driven in a boring race no it's true i think with a lot of motorsport let's take the big ones like f1 and you know all of these massive motorsport races they're all getting a bit too serious and a bit too technical and it's, you know, spoiling the fun. But then these smaller yeah. championships, like the MX-5 racing, for example, they're really fun to watch and fun for the drivers, I imagine, as well. It's just ludicrous. I mean, they're only 20 minutes long, the races. Yeah. But I've, there's been two or three races I've done. I've been begging for the flag to finish. I've been begging for the finish flag. So I'm like, <laughs> knackered, you know, and I'm, I'm fit. I, I keep myself fit. But just kind of the, the mental toll of having so many cars around you at all times. Yeah. You've got to be um, on it. It's just, it's knackering. You kind of finish like, Oh, thank goodness. That's over in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I can imagine. Now a question I should really ask why MX fives, why do you race in the MX five championships championship? Ooh. Um, just for, you know, obviously cost is a big one. You know, if yeah. I had rated funds, I'd be off doing GT three racing, but <laughs> you know, for the money, MX fives are brilliant. And the grids are so close. You know, there's, yeah. there's often 55, 60 entries at a weekend. So you get two split grids, about 30 cars in each. And it's hard to, you know, unless you've got the budget for touring cars, yeah. it's hard to get that kind of driving anywhere else. And, yeah. you know, you learn so much racecraft um, in the MX-5 Championship. It was a no-brainer, really. Yeah, yeah. So did you start with go-karts? Did you do go-karting at all when you were a teenager? I Not properly. Yeah. I used to do it, you know, just for fun with my friends. Yeah, um, yeah. There was a time I was going once or twice a week just to my local circuit, but yeah. I never managed to get my license, which is a shame. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'd have done art racing, but it, it's almost more expensive than Mazda's. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. It seems to be. Motorsport these days, getting into it, it's, yeah, it's very pricey, very pricey. Hard. And that's why I think, you know, the, there's the Saxo Championship, I think, the junior yeah. sport saloon car championship that's a good way to do it if you're you know up and coming um but i think i'm surprised there's not more young drivers in the mx5s yeah i know i know because you know it is relatively affordable and just brilliant to learn yeah. race cars. i mean even the mx5 as a car is quite appealing to younger audience because obviously it's, it's japanese and young people yeah, really yeah. like japanese cars and you know it's got pop-up headlamps it's got Who history Exactly, exactly. Now, we used to have a Mazda MX-5. It was a UNOS and it was Mark 1 and it was gorgeous. It was in green, tan interior. I don't know if I put some photos on my Instagram a few months ago and it was just stunning. Now, at the time we were living in France and because it was a uh, JDM import, the French didn't want to register it as a French car. So that had to go after six months. It was heartbreaking. But the time we had that car was just amazing. Such a lovely car. They're just, I mean, I've owned a Mark two road car a mark three road car and yeah. now a mark four road car so you yeah, know yeah. i've raced the mark ones and i've owned all the others on the road and i'm just a little bit obsessed by them <laughs> um, at, at any price point you know from 500 pounds to twenty five thousand, there yeah. is a mazda out there for somebody you know it, it, it doesn't matter what age yeah. condition you can get one and they're all brilliant yeah they are fantastic now we'll, we'll talk more about mx size later on i'm sure but Motorsport as a whole, what do you think your biggest achievement has been? It's a big question. 
I think probably it was actually the last race I did um, due to COVID and all that, that yeah. fun stuff. But winning <laughs> at Silverstone was a good one. Um, on yeah. the international circuit, I won. My teammate Sam Smith came second. So to go up on you know the actual F1 podium at the Silverstone wing was, um, was bonkers. Yeah, I'm sure. Do you ever have like these surreal moments where, oh my word, I'm going around Silverstone you must do. Yeah, I think the first time I ever raced at Silverstone, kind of being based in the wing, you know, where the F1 guys are based, yeah, is a, yeah. you kind of go, I wonder who was in this garage last year at the F1. Yeah, yeah. You've got these exactly tiny little masters in there, six or seven cars to a garage. You go, how on earth do they just get one car in one of these? Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was, being, being on that podium was a special one because you kind of, you've watched it throughout the years and since they built the wing, and you know there are a bit more fans there at the F1 race, but yeah. <laughs> it, was still, it was still brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's great. And I've got to ask this because you know it's motorsport; it happens. But have you had any incidents? And by incidents, I mean you know crashes. <laughs> oh, many, many, many. Um, probably too many because the first year I used my dad's car, and I don't think he right. was too pleased about um, <laughs> some of the incidents that ended up happening in his car. Yeah. Um, I actually ended up getting four penalty points on my license in my first ever race Ooh. and getting disqualified from the race because I managed to um, go up to Druid's Heppin at Brands Hatch, just completely T-boned somebody on the first lap. Yeah. That was a bit embarrassing. Um, yeah. And then a couple of sizable shunts at Silverstone. Yeah. Uh, I managed to rip the front driver's side corner of the car off and um, kind of tear a couple of tendons in my right wrist. That was a painful oh. one. Yeah. A lesson to everyone out there. If you're going to crash, let go of the steering wheel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, I think there was a video. It might have been on your you know, racing Instagram account. And it was somebody who spun when it was raining. I can't remember which track. Um, and then you went into him. And it's just the forces, isn't it? When, when you do have a crash, it's boom. And then that's yeah. it. It all happens so quick. You know, we're not racing at particularly high speed. You know, it's probably... We, we don't go much more than about 110 miles an hour. And that's yeah. only on the circuits with a longer straight. But even an, an incident at 50, 60 miles an hour yeah. is enough to kind of, you wake up a bit sore. You know, even with the hands device and the harnesses, you still, you know, you've, you've had a bit of a bump. Yeah. Especially in an MX-5, you know, you've got no roof. Yeah, and no that, roof, that is... no real protection. You, it is effectively you and the car. There's not much around you. I know, it all adds to the drama, the noise and everything. <laughs> it does. It's one of the first thing. One of the things I found really weird is that when you're on the grid, yeah. you can't hear your own engine. Right. So you're kind of you can just hear all these cars around you, yeah. and you're trying to get the revs right. But you can, yeah. you know you don't know how to change gear. You pull away, and normally in a car you kind of you hear your revs rise and you change gear, but you just can't. Yeah. Um, so that was quite a tricky one of just looking at the rev counter, going, I need to change the second. <laughs> Constantly paying attention, I can imagine. Um, now, you've been to many circuits racing MX-5s. Do you have any particular favourites? Oh, Donington's probably my favourite in the UK. Yeah, great track. Uh, favourite circuit I've ever driven has got to be Spa. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, that's great, that is. I can imagine Not going racing, up... but I've done a couple of track days there, and it's yeah. just mind-blowing. So was that in your modern-day MX-5, then, track day at Spa? I did that in my old Mark Three, the green one. So Mark Three road car, the green one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that, um, that must have been amazing. Bit, um, 
struggled a bit on the straights, but through the corners, it was brilliant. Yeah, I can imagine. Oh, Rouge and everything. Zipping around. Oh, Rouge. Yeah. <laughs> Mind blowing. What, what a, a classic. I know. It's just amazing. And do you have any least favourites? Uh, oh, Brands Hatch. Yeah. It's probably an unpopular opinion, that one. But yeah. it's really boring. There's only about three corners. Yeah. Um, and I just don't find it very... Paddock Hill's a great bend. Yeah. But the rest of it, just kind of a hairpin, a couple of left turns, and a right-hander, and then a really long slog uphill. Although I've yeah. not driven the GP circuit. So yeah, yeah. I think the GP circuit is a whole lot better. Yeah, well, it's something for the future, definitely. Now, for you know, for for us viewers, um, for you know, racing events, I think smaller tracks can sometimes be nicer. So, if we compare, for example, Mallory Park to Spa, for example, you could be stood up somewhere at Mallory Park, and you can see almost all around the track. And yeah. say you're at somewhere like Spa, you could be sat somewhere, and it'd be every few minutes you just see them race by, and then that's it. Now, do you prefer yeah, the smaller I, circuits or the bigger circuits? To go and spectate, definitely. And actually, this is where I'm going to contradict myself. I love yeah. spectating at Brands Hatch <laughs> because you, you sit in the Paddock Hill grandstand and you can see 80, 90% of the circuit. Yeah. Um, whereas going to watch, you know, racing at Silverstone, you get 10 seconds of cars going past and then two and a half minutes of kind of just talking and trying to see a big screen and then yeah. cars come past again. So... Yeah, definitely for spectating, the smaller circuits are, are much better. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can imagine. And, um, you know, for, for young racing drivers that want to get into racing, what would be your main tip to them? Have fun. You know, it's so easy to get drawn into the competitiveness and trying to be overly yeah. serious about it. You know, I was guilty of that in my first year, thinking that oh, I'm going to be great at this. I've driven on PlayStation <laughs> and, you know, F1 is so happens. serious. Yeah, yeah. I must treat Mazda's like F1, but just actually turning up to a circuit, it doesn't matter where you're on the grid, just have fun. Yeah, it's the main thing, definitely. Now, yeah. I have done, you know, fun go-karting in the past. I'm not competitive and I never will be, really, in that, in that respect. So, for example, I'll go to a track and just have fun, really. Indoor tracks, mostly, with my friend. And it is a massive amount of fun. I, I'm always the one that ends up spinning about everywhere, but I'm perfectly happy with that because it is—it's definitely an experience. It's still fun at that point. Yeah, yeah, it's all fun, definitely. And I think it's—you know—it's so simple to do things like you know indoor go karting. Um, mm. You know, I think it's like twenty pounds or something to get a few goes around, and it's just such good fun, isn't it? You don't have to be in a massive oh, like, championship. It's one of those activities that you know you don't have to be the quickest you don't have done it before but you turn up you get given a helmet and a go-kart and it's just you can just Off explore the like you said explore the limits of grip if you yeah spin, it doesn't matter if you hit the wall it's not really going to make much difference yeah it is great so. it really is great now i'm sure we'll come back to motorsport again later on but we've got to move on to the cars because now you're very young like me and if i'm honest yeah. i don't know how you get hold of all of these cars i just find it so amazing <laughs> now Okay, just just take me and the listeners through your car history. There's quite a few. Okay, so I bought my first car when I was late 15s, just before my 16th birthday. Yeah. And that was a 1988 Austin Mini. <laughs> um, it was actually a designer edition, so it had the flowers on the side. Right. Um, I think like flowers embroidered into the seats. So I bought that off a lovely <laughs> lady down on the south coast. 
yeah uh when i picked it up she kind of made sure that you're not going to change this car at all are you i was like no no that's not the plan at all <laughs> um, and about a week later it was completely stripped down to a bare shell <laughs> uh, and was being sent to a paint shop to be painted kawasaki green yeah great color that was a that was a project that my dad and I did in a single garage, you know, at the, wow. the apartment we lived at at the time. Yeah, um, you know, we re- we re- well, we rebuilt that car from the ground up. Really, we got um, Cobra seats, did all the interior for us. So they did the Alcantara dashboard, um, seats trimmed with green stitching. They got the harnesses sorted out. Yeah, um, and the only thing we didn't change was the engine because obviously I was seventeen and insurance was. I yeah, think I paid four thousand pounds my first year. Wow. For a car Ouch. with 39 horsepower. Yeah. Which, looking back, seems unfair. Because it was it the slowest is. car Very. on the planet. Yeah. That um, is the, that's the problem with young drivers. It's always the insurance. And I think, yeah. you know, the majority of young drivers are perfectly safe. But it's just the occasional idiot that just sends all the insurance prices up. It's a shame. It's very frustrating, but, uh, you know, I actually went for a Mini because I'd done research and it was meant to be one of the cheapest cars to insure. Yeah. So I uh, got the wool pulled over my eyes with that one, but that was my my first car. Um, That then started to break down quite a lot because we didn't do anything to the engine. Yeah. So I then ended up going for a VW Lupo 1.4 Sport. Yeah. That that didn't hang around long at all. That was only with me for a few months. And then I went to a Lupo GTI. Yeah. Which oh, I great. still maintain one of the best cars I've ever owned. Yeah. Um, Such a good looking car as well. I can just imagine the driving experience as well. A properly special car, you know, the aluminium body panels. You yeah. don't really get that anymore. And on, you know, on a little hot hatch, it was 125 horsepower. Um, yeah. Only a five speed gearbox, but brilliant i loved it i'd have another one in a heartbeat yeah and you yeah. took that to the nurburgring didn't you or outside or i did take it to the nurburgring i also broke it at the nurburgring <laughs> it's all part um, of the experience i'd messed around with that one a bit too much i ended up putting kw coilovers on um yeah. a decatted stainless steel exhaust a four to one race manifold semi-slick tires spacers yeah and yeah the the both drive shafts fell out at the nurburgring Oh, um, on the last corner, going around the mini carousel. Yeah. Um, suddenly it just, you know, popped out of gear effectively. And that was it. Ouch. So that was an expensive lesson in, um, in not ruining your car. Cause it cost me about a thousand euros just to get off the circuit. Oh, of course. Cause that's where it gets really expensive, isn't it? The no burgering is when something goes yeah. wrong. And I mean, then I there's, think, but, um, yeah, the, the recovery fee was something like 700 euros. Oh my word. Yeah, it's just so much. I think Car Throttle did a, a video like how much does it cost and uh, what yeah. happens when you crash at the Nürburgring and it costs thousands. Yeah, it's it's you I mean I I would never want to crash one of my road cars. No. But on any circuit, but definitely not there. No. Definitely um, not. Yeah, what did I have after that? Then I went to Oh, I'm starting to forget now. I had a, <laughs> I had a, I had a gold Mazda Mark II for a while. Yeah. Uh, um, that I then, I only owned that for about three weeks, and then I traded it <laughs> in for my green Mark III. Yeah. And then while I had my green Mark III, I leased a VW Polo. Yeah. It was the most boring car, but you know what? I was living in London at the time at university. 
Mm-hmm. So yeah. it was great for just plodding to lectures and back. It was only a one liter, like 80 horsepower. Yeah, but it's uh, good for potting you know, around, isn't it? Perfectly good car. I got 50 to the gallon. Yeah. And well, you, you, wouldn't, my... you wouldn't take that to the Nürburgring. <laughs> oh, it would be painful. It would take me about a week to get there. <laughs> yeah. And then, so while I had those two, I then bought my Mini back. Right. Um, and I still had my Lupo GTI at this point. So I had the Lupo, the Polo, the Mazda, and then I bought the Mini. Yeah. I had four cars at this point <laughs> while living in London. And how old were you then? 20, 20, I think 19 or 20. Four cars. Wow. It was ludicrous. <laughs> so I got to the point, I was like, this is too much. Mm. Um, and the Mini, when I bought it back, I had it for about a year and I, I never used it. Yeah. I think I did three or four trips in it. So I ended up selling that. The Lupo GTI just, it broke down again once I got back from the Nürburgring. So I sold that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, then I just had the Polo and the Mazda, which was perfect, really. Yeah. Yeah. Good combo. Definitely. And then I ended up selling my green Mazda again, something I regret, <laughs> uh, and getting the M2. Yeah. Wow. The M2. What a great car. Yeah. It was quite a big jump. That was, it was, I originally, I went to BMW to buy an M140 hatchback. Yeah. Been out at Spa in the green Mazda and I'd driven a friend who had an M140 and I was blown away by it. Yeah. I went down to BMW, had a test drive in one and the salesman went, oh, we've, we've got an M2. If yeah. you, you're interested, and I kind of went, no, I could never afford an M2. And um, he was a very good salesman, so I ended up walking out of there with an M2. <laughs> and I've got to ask, what was the insurance like on an M2? I think I was, was 21 at this point. Yeah. I paid back two grand for the year. Oh. Wasn't horrific. Yeah. It was still quite expensive. <laughs> um, but that was on a multi-car policy so I did get a bit of a reduction because I had yeah, it on the same yeah. policy as the Polo yeah but worth it One, what a car just what, such a driver's a car. car and you know it's an, this is an opinion a lot of people share but I think the M2 is probably the best M car that BMW currently make I don't know if they still make it today I think I, they might have stopped it but... yeah, they're, they're making the competition still i believe and the yeah, cs that's right yes yeah. they're making a lot more. Uh, it's just so amazing i have mean, an m2 and m3 and an m4 yeah and the yeah. m2 is the your m4s favorite. and the m3s were a bit big yeah it's short it's squat it's got a short wheelbase yeah and it yeah blew me away great engine as well yeah, the, the N55, you know, the, the competition's got a completely different engine, pretty much. Yeah. Um, but the, the, sound of, the sound of the original M2 is better than the competitions. Yeah. Um, 0 to 60 in four and a half seconds never hurt anyone, really. Yeah, I know. That's great. So then what came after the M2? So the M2 went after about a year of ownership. Yeah. Just because I was using uh, this company. So I was having to use the M2 as a daily driver, which was not, not ideal, really. Yeah. So the M2 was replaced by a Polo GTI. Yeah. Cool car. Um, which is a car I don't really mention much on my social media channels because I don't really like it. Do you not? Why is that? I don't. It, it's got no cruise control. Right. For one. Yeah. Uh, which, which is annoying. 
you know, GTI model, I expected cruise control. Yeah, definitely. Um, and the seats are horrific. Really? The seats are so uncomfortable. They look nice, though. That's one thing. They do um, look nice. Yeah. So that's, they look brilliant. You know, they've got the Jakarta cloth on them. Um, yeah. They're quite supportive. They're, you know, semi-buckets in there. Yeah. Um, you know, I think had I not come from the M2 into it, a whole dish. So then the Polo, um, you still, do you still have the Polo today? Still got the Polo, yeah. Um, and then... I'm trying to think what order I bought things in. <laughs> I had the Polo for about a year as my only car. I was being really sensible with money, saving up for a house. And then in January of this year, I ended up buying my Mark IV Mazda. Yeah, the I remember that. Recaro edition. Nice color as well. Lovely color, lovely spec. It's got the Recaro seats. Um, yeah. So that's brilliant. I absolutely love that. It's a car I'll keep for many, many, many years, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's just, it's a car that you can use every day as well. Yeah. And you know, I love the fact that it's, it gets 50 mpg on the motorway. Yeah. It pootles around town. I can put shopping in it. But, you know, it's equally at home. When it rains or snows, um, it will go completely sideways around a roundabout. Yeah. That like, is what like you like. It goes, please, please make me drink. <laughs> you go, okay, then. If so, I'm asked. Which engine is that MX-5? Is that 2 litre? 2 litre, yeah. 2 litre, yeah. about 160 horsepower, and it's got the limited slip diff. Yeah. Uh, mine's also got some weird knockoff brand tyres on the rear, <laughs> which I kind of I wanted to change when I bought it, but actually they're so horrific yeah. that they're good fun. Yeah, yeah. And it just means that it slides all the time. Accidental drifts, I like it. Exactly. Sorry, officer. It just, I've got rubbish tyres on the back. <laughs> Great thing. Blame the tyres, yeah. So, what else then? What else arrived? Then it's the, it's the biggie next. It, this is when the 1M came, about yeah. two months ago now, I think. Wow. Um, the opportunity came up to have one. It was I'd been talking to my dad about, you know, 1M CSLs, because he used to have a CSL. Yeah. Uh, you know, E46, M3 CSL. So, and I, I was looking at the Valencia Orange 1Ms. I couldn't see any for sale in the UK. And I yeah. thought I'd try try the owners club, and a bloke said I'm you know tempted to let mine go. Yeah, and I was like, well, I'm in that case. I'm literally I'm on my way to come and see it right now. <laughs> um, and boy, what a car! It is amazing. Again, another BMW that's just really good. And it was, I believe, the entry level M car at the time. It was kind of the the follow on from the M2. There was a five year gap between them. Yeah. Um, you, but yeah, the 1M is, it feels very special. The M2 is a brilliant car, Yeah. but the 1M feels, you know, the day I picked it up, I drove it back from, um, you know, the other side of Birmingham to where I am now near the Welsh border. Yeah. It's just a special car. I've yeah. not had a car since my green mini that people on the motorway take photos of. Yeah. So is um, that, would you say that that's a keeper? I'm not sure. I'd like it to be, you know, yeah. I'd love it to be a keeper. Yeah. Um, but there's, you know, I've got a few plans this year that might need a fair chunk of capital to go in. So yeah, yeah. it might have to go this summer, but I, I hope not. Um, yeah. um, and Chris Harris has a one M, doesn't he? Cause he bought one brand new in 2011 and I think he still has it today. And that says a lot, doesn't it? About that car. If he's kept it for 10 years. Yeah, he. I think he's fiddled a little bit with his. 
Yeah, that's I right. I think he it to Litchfield. Yeah. Um, but it is, it's a scary car to drive. It's got a lot of torque. Yeah. And all um, at the rear yeah. as well, so it's instant. All at the rear, and it's such a short, I think it's it potentially a shorter wheelbase in the M2. Yeah. Which is, it, it, it is quite a handful, because they're all manual, the 1Ms. Yeah. My M2 was the DCT seven-speed gearbox, but uh, no, it's it's a bonkers car. It's it it's almost too nice to drive. It's so low mileage. Yeah, yeah. And you know the value of it. I'm not used to having cars worth that much. Yeah. And it's you know I, I don't know how people buy you know three four hundred thousand pound cars and drive them around every no, day. It would hurt. Yeah. Constantly <laughs> petrified, but yeah. Um, and then yeah. I then bought a 911 a few weeks ago as well. Yeah, that's another interesting car. I'm a big fan of that. It's gorgeous. Again, really high spec, fairly low mileage one. Yeah. Um, that was offered to me, and I kind of thought this is really bad timing to buy the 911, <laughs> but it's a 911. I grew up, my dad had 964s when I yeah. was younger. So that was a kind of, oh, go on then. Yeah. And that's the 996 Gen 911, which is very controversial. At the time, it was like, you know, the worst Porsche made. And that was when Porsche were in a, quite a bad state. But then now they're sort of seen yeah. as a really good car. They're sort of, I, I think I've heard people say they're like one of the best modern Porsches to drive. They are, I can't believe how fast it is. Yeah. I really can't. The day I picked it up and drove it home, I was blown away yeah. by the torque and the speed of it. I was like, and I've, you know, I've driven some quick stuff, but yeah, yeah. About having the engine at the back, all the noises behind you. Yeah. Um, proper heavy clutch, heavy steering. It, it drives how an old 911 should feel. I think. Yeah, definitely. I think they've, they've sort of fallen into a loophole where they're all a bit big, heavy and technical. And you know, that, that is probably not what a brand like Porsche should be. No. Yeah, you know, they're all about these lightweight sports cars that you know give you a sense of achievement when you're driving them. Yeah, it's um, but it's weird. I hop out of the 911 and I get back into the Mazda, and I love the Mazda. Yeah, yeah. I would oh. still, if somebody said you could keep one car out of the 911 or the Mazda, it'd be the Mazda every day. Yeah. Wow, well, that says a lot, doesn't it? Probably going to get a lot of hate mail for that one, but <laughs> hate DMs. Yeah, I like it. So. After the 911, I think that's it, but I might be wrong. Is that it? That's it. No, nothing else has come in. Not <laughs> nothing else all. hiding. <laughs> so, well, yeah, it's a, I think I've done well in, you know, eight years of driving to go definitely. through a, a ridiculous yeah. list of cars. But So, you know, when you need to nip to the shops, you look at the car keys and you're like, which one do you take? <laughs> I do, and it's never the 1M, which is a real thing. Yeah. Um, 1M's in storage at the moment, so that's kind of out of the way. It's... Um, like I said, it's just a bit too nice. But the night we I went shopping today and we took the nine eleven. Yeah, uh, it's got the sunroof in, so pop the sunroof open and just burble through town. Yeah, well, it's just a life, isn't it? Yeah. So, out of all of the cars you've owned this past eight years or whatever it was, which car did, did you close? You know, which car did you hold closest to your heart? Which meant the most to you? Ooh, it's a. It's a tie-up between the Mini, because I built it myself, yeah. and Lupo GTI, because I think I did about 30,000 miles in 18 <laughs> months in that, yeah. and just loved, you know, it gave me so many hard times when it broke down or it needed an expensive repair bill, Yeah, but it was just, 
it, it's just it's just a special car and i would love another one yeah well i think that your relationship with that lupo gti is similar to mine with my panda 100 hp it's very mm. similar to that i mean the panda's going to be my first car when i turn 17 and i can't wait for that day as you can probably imagine yeah um but there's it's gonna be awesome Oh, definitely. Um, but they're just small cars with maybe not a massive amount of power, but they're still really fun to drive. And I think people forget, you know, the thrills of that type of car with all of the... So easy at the moment. Everyone is horsepower chasing. All yeah. the car manufacturers, all the YouTubers, everyone involved, you're just constantly horsepower. If your car hasn't got 400 horsepower, nobody cares. Yeah. There's actually on a, on a Welsh B road or a Scottish B road, I'd only want 150 horsepower because you can yeah. properly drive it. That's what uh, you want. You, you know, in, in the M2, I could barely put my foot to the floor without yeah. the speed limit. So, you, know, know. You, drive, you drive it hard for four seconds and go, well, that, that was good. That went quick. Yeah. Because that's the, the thing. GTI, you can, you could just hammer around Wales in. Yeah. And, and you wouldn't be breaking the speed limit no, anytime quick. That that's is... what people forget proper motoring it's like 80s hot hatches that was the thrill exactly so i think that's you know with a lot of the cars even the electric cars nowadays they're so quick that yeah you um you know i think you you talked sort of about the id3 and the id4 on your last um, yeah the last podcast i, I did drove, yeah i drove both the other day yeah and they're, they're quick cars yeah now i've got to ask where do you stand on the electric car argument i love them yeah, did the you know did the ID cars win you over? I absolutely love them. I would, I'd love an electric car. I just yeah. haven't quite ever got my ducks in the right order to get one. But <laughs> they're, um, I you know, and I'm a massive petrol head, but yeah. I am blown away by them. I've got family family member who has a Honda E. Oh, nice! And I love that little thing with all my Such heart. Such a lovely car. Yeah. A lot of hype as well. They're just different. And I really praise Honda for being different with that car. You know, they could have been really boring, but they weren't. That's great. They really went for it. And, you know, they didn't do that thing of giving it 200 miles range because apparently everyone needs to go 200 miles in one go. Yeah, irrelevant argument. Yeah. Um, You know, and the Honda E would be perfect for me. How many times do I drive more than 90 miles in one go? Exactly. Not very often. So I, I don't get the whole... I don't get this whole, oh, I don't need, I can't have an electric car because sometimes I drive 300 miles. Yeah. You know, one, like once or twice a year. It's like wearing flip-flops all year round because you go to the beach once. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. It's exactly what it is. And also the charging network is improving, you know, every single month. So it gets to the point yeah. where you can go to a charging station and charge your car from, you know, zero to 80% in the space of half an hour. And, that, and that's, that's the thing a lot of people don't understand. They think yeah. they have to sit there for four hours waiting for their car to charge. And yeah. you don't. By the time you've gone in, grabbed a sandwich and a drink, come back out, your car's got another 70, 80 miles range on. Exactly. That's the thing. I mean, it's all well and good having like a two, 300 mile range. But how often do you do that distance in one go? I mean, I know us as a family, we pull over every hundred miles maybe you know for yeah. the dog or to stretch the legs or something and it's the yeah. moments when you plug your car in so it definitely makes sense i think people have obviously got used to petrol and diesel cars having four five hundred mile ranges yeah but you know you i challenge everyone who says they won't have an electric car because of range to go actually how many times have you ever drained your fuel tank from start to finish yeah. without stopping number one it's probably not very safe yeah um 
you know, okay, when I drive over to the Nürburgring, it would be a bit of a nightmare in an electric car. Yeah. That would that would be an issue, but for the UK, it'd be perfect. I know. And you're not driving to the Nürburgring every week. So there's another argument. Yeah, I wish you... <laughs> that is a very fair point. But yeah, I'm the same as you. I'm, I'm in favour of electric cars, and I also like petrol and diesel cars. Yeah. Maybe not so much diesel, but, you know, they're diesels. good. <laughs> but... Um, um, yeah, petrol heads can like electric cars. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, you don't need to choose exactly. between the two. A bit like, if we compare it to music, a bit like Beatles and Rolling Stones. You can like both. There's nothing wrong with that. Exactly. Um, but there's there's a comparison. Anyway, I think we should slowly wrap this one up. So, Charlie, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you about various MX-5s, really racing and everything. It has been really good. And hopefully we can talk again soon. And yes. I wish you best of luck in the next uh, MX-5 season whenever you're racing because uh yeah it's phenomenal so where can people find you on social media um charlie mugsy is instagram so yeah. at charlie mugsy and then there's also cm96 racing which is the um the race account which hopefully this year we'll be getting a bit of um of content back on yeah hopefully hopefully covid is a runner um oh, fingers crossed yeah, I know. If, you know, all returns to normality, I think I should be going to Snetterton in August to see 24-hour 2CV race. So I'm very excited for that. Awesome. Um, that would be <laughs> yeah, amazing. I'd really like, cool. I'd like to get a drive in something like that. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, that's exciting. Hopefully things can get back to normal. Anyway, yeah, the podcast is on Twitter at, uh, at uh, Piston Podcast. There we go. I'm forgetting my own little links. And I'm on social media, Instagram and Twitter at Daniel Carzo 5 So, Charlie, thank you ever so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. No problem. And listeners, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Piston Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Just before you go, remember you can follow me on social media at DanielCarzo5 and you can follow the podcast on Twitter at Piston Podcast. See you next time for more interesting car chats.